0: We're learning Ben Ravmanasha Kaltman. We continue to learn in the of the shluchim, the shluchis, their children and their communities, those who have left Ukraine, those who have returned, may they find peace, and may there be peace for all. This week's Torah portion begins with the instruction that Hashem gives to Moshe regarding the purity and impurity after a woman bears a child. A woman's state of impurity ends with her return to the temple and the offering of sacrifices. A new mother will bring both an eila and a sacrifice, an ascent offering and a sin offering. Though no sin was committed, God forbid, in the birthing of a child, the new mother brings a sin offering so that her birth contributes towards the atonement for the sin of Chava, for partaking of the fruit of the Eitz Hadas Tevira, the tree of knowledge of good and bad, in the Garden of Eden, a consequence of which is pain in childbirth. The new mother brings a one-year-old sheep as an ascent offering, and a young pigeon, or turtle dove, as a sin offering to the entrance of the ahilmaid, the tent of meeting, and gives these to the priest, who will sacrifice her sin offering first, and Eila, second, on the altar, and effect atonement for her. If a woman cannot afford a sheep for her sin offering, she can instead bring two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, and offer one as an eulah, an ascent offering, and one as the chatas, the sin offering. She is then purified. The Mishnah in the section of kinim, the tractate that discusses the bird sacrifices, the word kinim is plural for the word ken, nest, when something occurs in the bringing of bird sacrifices that will cause the validity of the offerings to be placed into question, concludes with the following. Ha'isha Sha'amra. if a woman vows to bring a pair of birds if she gives birth to a male child and does give birth to a male child, is now required to bring a pair of turtle doves or pigeons for her vow and a pair for her chiyuv, her obligatory sacrifice of the ayla and Khatas. And the kayan. Is to sacrifice three of the birds above the red line on the Mizbeach that identifies the point above where sacrifices above must be slaughtered, and one below the line indicating where the birds are to be slaughtered below. Because three of her vowed two of her vowed offerings are an Ayla offering, and one of her bird of her obligatory offerings is an Eila, and one of her bird obligatory offering is a chatas. And the law is, as discussed earlier in Kinnin that the sacrifice of the fowl for the Eila must be performed above the red demarcation on the mezbayach, and the sacrifice of the bird For the chatas, the sin offering, must be performed below the red line on the mezbeach. If one of any number of errors on the part of the Kayin, because the birds were not assigned before, or because the birds became mixed up, or on the part of the new mother, the obligatory with the chatas birds, the Mishnah teaches all the possible scenarios that there could be in these errors and how in increasing number more birds must be brought in case of any one of these assorted errors or oversights 3 then 4 or another 5 birds or even 6 and 7 or 8 depending on what bird sacrifices were being brought and what the specific oversight was then the Mishnah says, Rabbi Yehoshua said, Zehu she'amrei. This is what is meant when they said, Kishu ko'iloi echad. When the animal, a sheep, is alive, it emits one sound. Kishu meis ko'iloi shiva. In its death, it produces seven sounds. Kitzad ko'iloi shiva. How are there seven sounds produced from a dead animal? Beiz karnov, l'shtei His two horns become two trumpets. shakin, l'shtei chalilin. His two leg bones, or thigh bones, become two flutes. Its hide becomes a drum. Meav l'neveilim, its innards, the sinew, become lyre strings, b'nei the l'kinoi Its intestines become harp strings. And some add that its wool is used for the blue pomegranates with the bells that hung at the bottom of the garment of the kayan Mepharshim explained Rabbi Yeshua's intention in the words, zehu as this is what was said, saying that, Alive, the animal produces one sound, and in death specifically, the sounds produced by the sheep increases, or as the Rambam explains this, more mitzvahs can be performed with this animal, sevenfold or even eightfold more, according to the opinion of those who say that the wool becomes the pomegranates. And so it is regarding the bird sacrifices. The sacrifice of the new mother, which begins as a set of birds for the vows she made and one set as her obligation, but specifically because of her oversight and doubts as to how the kohen brought these to the altar, she now has to bring seven or eight sacrifices, eight according to Ben Azai. But this explanation requires clarification. This idea that at the the outset there is one thing, but an error caused there to be an increase to seven, can be illustrated by many examples, like the simple example of inherited property, which might be passed on to seven or eight heirs. As long as the testator, the father, is alive, the possessions all belong to one man alone, to him. But when he dies, his possessions are divided seven or eight ways, which is like an increase in the field being inherited. And that many more people will fulfill that many more mitzvahs with the now many pieces of land. This is much like the increase in sacrifices on the part of the new mother. But Rabbi Yeshua quotes this example. And therefore, there must be something that fits the situation discussed in kinim better than any other example, and we need to understand what that is. Let's discuss what it's not. It's not that the Mishnah doesn't bring the example of an inheritance of a parcel of land because the sacrifices that were already brought experience no change. There's only an increase. But regarding the inheritance, the testator is actually gone because that is actually similar to the sheep whose voice dies with him. As well, when a parable or example is presented, it's to facilitate a better understanding of something. Particularly in our situation, as the Rambam Maimonides says, This was an odd situation. So Rabbi Yeshua offers an example of the sheep that died, who in life produced one sound, and in death, more. How does this example help us? What clearer understanding do we have of the Mishnah with the statement, that in fact, this is what is meant when it said, when the sheep lives, it produces one sound, and dead produces seven, etc. Also, looking at Rabbi Yeshua's introduction to the example, his words Zehusha this is what's meant when it's said. He doesn't say Amru as it said. In other words, if he's bringing a parable, he would say as it said or Amru or What does this Mishnah compare to? That he does not say this tells us that he isn't just explaining the laws in our Mishnah regarding the pair of sacrificial birds, but Rabbi Yeshua is also actually saying that the laws about the birds will facilitate our understanding, Zehusha and what's meant in this saying that when the sheep lives, it produces one sound, and when the animal is dead, produces seven. Now, technically, why does this statement need explanation? It's a natural phenomenon, really. The death of an animal results in its parts being able to produce other things to be used for other things to produce more. And furthermore, if in fact this common expression of the sheep alive produces one sound and in death seven sounds, why would it be the job of the Mishnah, or the job of Torah for that matter, to explain this. This is a common expression. So we have to determine that when Rabbi Yeshua quotes this common expression, when it lived it produced one sound, and in death it produced seven sounds, he's not simply offering some clever expression to bolster his lesson, but rather he's sharing something that's absolutely connected to the law, to the halacha, that is being discussed, and this expression, Zehu She'amrei, this saying, that provides a supplementary understanding of a halacha, can be understood from the discussion in our Mishnah regarding the new mother and the sac- bird sacrifices that she brings. Now, the Mishnah continues in the following way. Rabbi Shimon ben akashia Emer, Rabbi Shimon ben akashia says, when ignorant elderly people become older yet, their intellect grows even more confused and befuddled, as it says in Eov in Job in Parakud Bays Chapter Twelve, Masir Safa Le Neemanim Yikach. He removes speech, even of trusty men, and takes away sense from the elderly. It's common for the elderly to become befuddled. But regarding aged Torah scholars, this is not the case. On the contrary, the verses continue. The older they are, the older the Torah scholar is, the more their minds grow composed, as it says, in the aged there is wisdom and understanding with a length of one's days. And the connection to the statement that precedes it is that just as when the animal dies, it produces seven sounds, so it is with the elderly Torah scholars who as they age and become weakened, yet their wisdom increases. There are a few questions here that need clarification. One, Why is it relevant to know that when ignorant people age, their minds become more befuddled? It's known that waning strength brings waning intellectual faculties. But even more puzzling is that this statement, when it begins with the weakening minds of the ignorant folk, goes contrary to what the Mishnah was teaching in the statement beforehand The statement could better have served by saying that though there are changes in old age, in Torah scholars wisdom increases, but in the ignorant the opposite happens. The way to understand this is, this law of kanim, the bird offerings, the possible confusion in what the new mother brought and possible oversight of the kayin, and the increase of karbanis required, teaches a rather novel idea. The new mother's obligation is one pair of birds, one for a sin offering, and one for an oyleh. Our discussion also includes a situation where she has promised, vowed, an offering, which then increases her offerings to two pairs of birds. One offering of two oylehs, this is her vowed offering, and one of an ilah and one chatas, this is her obligatory offering. But the possible doubts and oversights creates a requirement for additional sacrifices, up to seven or eight of them, depending on the doubt and the oversight. How can she be obligated on a possible oversight or on a possible confusion where she has actually brought the necessary and obligatory sacrifices and is possibly not obligated at all and possibly has attained forgiveness. And this, aside for the question, if she is not really obligated to bring these extra sacrifices, then these sacrifices are considered chulin, non-sacrificial offerings which may not be brought in the temple. So question number one is, Why is she being told to bring more sacrificial birds? If it's possible, this is all on a doubt. And in addition, wouldn't these extra birds, because they were not her obligation, be considered chulin, non-sacrificial offerings? Now, in the situation of the sin offering of a new mother, which had to be added in case of a doubt, we can say that the Gemara does teach that Torah makes space for this possibility, that in a situation of possible, in other words, not definite, but a possible impurity, a sacrifice can be brought to bring one to a state of purity. This category of sacrifice would be like that of an asham tolui, a sacrifice brought in a situation where a person is unsure if he has sinned. As Maimonides, Maimonides, as Rambam explains it, this would be called an asham tolui, which expiates the sin in a case of doubt and hinges upon whether indeed a person inadvertently sinned. But this isn't what we're discussing here in our Pasuk and in our Mishnah. This new mother has an obligation to bring a sacrifice. And the doubt whether her sacrifice was complete. And if she has achieved atonement, gets thrown into the situation, into this situation, either by her oversight or the Kayan's. And so what category do these extra seven or eight sacrifices fall under? The doubt isn't bound up with a questionable action is bound up with a new mother, or the Kayan to which, Rabbi Yeshua says, when the animal lives, it produces koiloi, his sound is one, and when it dies koiloi, his sound is a production of seven sounds. Looking at the way the statement is constructed, what occurs to you is that this is actually a contradiction in terms. The seven sounds produced after the sheep dies are not sounds from the same sheep. The two horns became trumpets. The thigh bones become flutes, etc. These are sounds from the parts. And yet the saying is, shiva." And when he dies, his sound is sevenfold. The one sound that the sheep produced alive is void, and seven new sounds are produced. And this is how these extra sacrifices are explained. Though what has caused that, that though what has caused um, that the, these sacrifices should be brought is a doubt. After her obligatory sacrifices were indeed brought, these two are considered obligatory just as the first. How does that happen, though? How does a doubt turn a sacrifice into an obligation? There are several examples when a result or consequence becomes more forceful even than its cause. One example is in the laws of sukkah, in the case where the boards for the schach are four tfachim, four handbreadths wide. Boards less than four hand breadths wide may be used for schach, but boards four hand breadths wide should not be used as schach, lest a person sit under their roof and consider it a sukkah, seeing no difference between them. If one did place a, two tef, a four tefach wide board at the side of the sukkah, like a wall extension, this is kosher but not as part of the main sukkah covering in the midst of a sukkah. Even so, one should not sleep under that board if one's minhag is to sleep in the sukkah. Now, turning the boards on their sides so now they are not that wide to use as schach is not acceptable because a board should not be used as schach, and as it is invalid as schach, It's considered just like a metal rod, which is never valid eschach. So although the boards, which are invalid because of the concern that they will be considered like a ceiling lying in their width, they are now absolutely puzzle, even when the boards are standing on the thin side of the board. Another example would be the halacha, as determined by the chassam sefer, Regarding the second day of Shavuos, the second day of Shavuos is, says the Chazam Sefer, more of a stringency as a festive day than any other second day and any other festival during the year. The reason that we have two days of Yom Tev is because we were unsure as to which day was Resh There was a possibility of doubt, but Shavuos is never a doubt. It's always celebrated 50 days after we began counting the omer. But we celebrate a second day of Yom Tov on Shavuos so that it's not different to the other festivals of the year. Hence, the second day of Shavuos does not occur as a result of a doubt to begin with, and it occurs rather as a firmly determined second day of Yom Tov, and thus has greater force as a festive day beyond even the second days of Pesach and Sukkos. Accordingly, we can look at this from the other perspective as well. The halacha of the bird sacrifices also teaches and clarifies something regarding the live sheep who produces one sound and in death produces seven. This is a lesson being learned from a lesson. The sheep and the sounds produced taught us how to understand the seemingly questionable sacrifices, and the sacrifices also teach us a lesson regarding sheep, laws of change that occur when a sheep dies and is no longer alive. In the discussion of a live sheep that was worshipped for a vayda for it was used as idol worship, the law is that this sheep may not be brought up on the mizbeach. The Gemara questions if the live animal was used for idol worship, can the wool of the now dead animal be used for the tcheles, the, blue, the wool for the blue pomegranates on the cloak of the Kayin? And can the horns be used as trumpets to be used in the temple? And can the thigh bones be turned into flutes, etc.? In other words, the horns are no longer connected to the animal. In fact, now they are trumpets and no longer the horns of the sheep. The thigh bones are now flutes. Nothing is as it was when the sheep was alive and being used for idol worship. So can this be done? And the answer is ko'ilo shiva. That same sheep now dead produces seven sounds. It cannot be used in the service of God. Within the context of this discussion, there are two possible applications. One is that though its horns are disqualified to be used as trumpets and the thigh bones as flutes in the temple service, as a new entity, they have changed and are not considered objects of idol worship. The other is that the disqualification of the horns of the sheep is just like the disqualification of the sheep being brought on the altar, that these are objects of idol worship and are loathsome to God and cannot thus be used. The difference in these two perspectives is that if these things, the trumpets, the flutes, are completely new entities, then the fact that they cannot be used in divine service is a rabbinic stricture. But if their entity is like that of the sheep, an object of idol worship, then the stricture is mido from the Torah. It is regarding this significant difference that the increased bird sacrifices are considered actual obligatory sacrifices, learned from the now no longer living sheep regarding which is said, ko'iloi, his voice, delivers seven more sounds, as the sheep that was used for idol worship remains an object of idol worship and its parts do not become a new entity. There is, however, a detail in the example of a living sheep that produces one sound and in death seven that is dissimilar to the birth sacrifices of the new mother. Regarding the sheep, its change is that it is now dead, Verses before when it was alive. One change occurs. Regarding the bird sacrifices, the Mishnah teaches that there are several things that may have occurred. The Kayin may have neglected to ascertain which were the chatas and which were the Eila's sacrifices. The new mother may be unsure what she brought. The Kayin is unsure what he did with the birds. All of these additional doubts cause for yet more and more bird sacrifices to be brought at the altar, so that seven or eight sacrifices might be added. To which the Mishnah teaches, Rabbi Shimon ben Akasha Emer, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Akashia says, "Zikne am ha'oritz kolz she'maskinin daiton misyashiv." The ignorant elders, the older they grew, the grow the more befuddled. This detail, which we questioned, both regarding its necessity and its placement, in fact, makes the very point discussed, that in this ongoing process of aging, in the natural process of ongoing aging, one's intellect does weaken, and we see this with unlearned people. Yet nevertheless, though a Torah scholar ages too, and he too becomes weakened in strength, His intellect grows stronger. Being a Torah scholar, it would have been enough if even though their bodies weakened, their minds did not, as it does in other elderly people. But the statement here is that their wisdom increases, their minds grow sharper, and they achieve greater wholeness and become even greater Torah scholars, which makes Rabbi Shimon ben Akash's teaching even more similar to the bird sacrifices, increased because of all the many potential doubts. Age is an ongoing process. It's developmental, and it weakens the body and the mind, but not of a Torah scholar. Just the opposite happens for a Torah scholar. The ongoing time, brings a more composed mind, so much so that the law was that only Ba'alei Zikna, the elders of the nation, sat on the Sanhedrin. So instead of deterioration, there is increase, like the bird sacrifices. The Hasidic understanding in this discussion and the particular connection to the words of Rabbi Yeshua is that the Mishnaic order of Kodshim, where the portion of K'num is found, highlights the holiness of the Jewish nation as a goy Kaddish, a holy people. At the conclusion of Kachim, the discussion is about a new mother, which represents the birthing of a nation into redemption. As the prophet Yeshayahu states, Tzioin experienced birth pangs and bore her children, a prophecy of redemption. Rabbi Yeshua concludes and completes the book of Kodshim explaining how it is possible to bear and suffer exile until we reach redemption with this idea, one voice when the animal lives and seven sounds when it's dead. The Medrash Tanchoma on the portion of Tildes teaches that Hadrian said to Rabbi Yeshua, how mighty is this sheep, the nation of Israel? that stands among 70 wolves, the 70 nations, to which Rabbi Yeshua answered, Mighty is the shepherd who can save and protect the lamb and destroy the wolves. So the question can be asked. There are times when we, the Jewish nation, are like a living sheep. When the le- we are at the level of our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and their level lives within us, and then, of course, the shepherd guards us. But when we are like the sheep who died, the level of our fourth our fathers is not illuminated through us in a revealed way, and we aren't one voice, but we are fragmented parts. How then are we guarded? The Rabbi Yeshua responds to this was with kishu shiva. Our fragmentation into seven isn't a complete separation. We are not seven separate entities. We are connected, and we nurture, and we live from that same one voice, the one living voice of the sheep of the forefathers, who are our forefathers in every detail of what a Jew is and in our total reality. As the of us, our forefathers had one voice before God. So too are seven different voices which reflects seven types of divine service. This exists in the essence of the core of the one voice in service to God above. In each of these voices, there's a reflection of the voice of Jacob, Kel Yaakov, guarded by God so that the hands of Asav do not rule or inflict harm. And even in death, says Rabbi Yeshua, Even in the passing of our forefathers of one voice, our voice, which is sevenfold, is alive and exists because of our nurture in our forefathers. And how long, the Rebbe asks, must this sheep live among the 70 wolves, protected indeed by a mighty shepherd, but how long must this terribly long exile go on for? To which the Mishnah teaches, that we are growing old in Golos, but it is with aged Torah scholars who have lengthy days and thus more wisdom and understanding. So it was when we left Egypt, when we left Mitzrayim, when though we argued to just forego the riches of Egypt, if only to leave sooner, God wanted us to leave with great wealth. Of course, the essence of exile is just that, refining the sparks of holiness, taking the wealth with us, redeeming those sparks, makes redemption complete. And now we are past old age in exile. In fact, we are quite ancient. And if in case there are, God forbid, still moments left to this old age, to this old age exile, may it be God's will that all calculations fall away and be forgotten. And may we be redeemed immediately, this moment, redemption on a physical plane through Mashiach Tzidkenu.